The global pandemic is forcing retailers to hit the reset button and reposition their brands for success. But how do you do it responsibly, with purpose, and in a way that engages consumers? In this premiere episode of WWD Voices, we'll look at resetting retail from the perspective of the C-suite. Welcome to WWD Voices, where we share the latest fashion, apparel, and retail industry insights. Welcome to WWD Voices. I'm Arthur Zachwitz, Executive Editor of WWD. And today, as part of Retail's Responsible Reset series with Accenture, we'll be featuring Jill Standish of Accenture as our guest host. Uh, today, she's going to be interviewing Levi Strauss and Company CEO Chip Berg. Uh, before I turn it over to her, Chip, hello. And I still, every time I walk down the supermarket aisle or Walgreens and I go past the Old Spice display, I think of you and how you changed that brand around. It's been like six or seven years since you know you told me that that story, your time there. And I, I just think of you and uh, how to wake up a brand. Uh, so welcome today and uh, looking forward to some insights. Thanks, Arthur. Yeah, I'm a brand guy and uh, built my whole career around building brands. So, but it's great to see you and, and to be here with you. So looking forward to this. Great. Well, Chip, um, it's, it's wonderful to be talking about you, your career lessons learned. This year was unlike any I think we've had in our careers. Uh, and I thought I'd start with, um, a little bit about some of the recent news in what you've been doing, because we're trying to keep this really current. Um, you had a cool acquisition and because I'm a yogi, I was really thrilled. Oh, um, so talk to me a little bit about what went into that and what your thinking was around that acquisition. Well, we're very, very excited about the, the acquisition. We, bought a brand called Beyond Yoga. And, you know, I said just a moment ago, I'm a brand guy. And this really is a brand that we believe has so much potential. Um, it's the first acquisition. I've, I've now been CEO here at Levi's for 10 years, believe it or not. And it's the first acquisition that we've done since I've been here. But it's very, very strategic. Um, you know, one of our strategies is to continue to diversify the company. and um, We've been looking at acquisitions for actually a couple of years, but we have three stringent filters that an acquisition would need to pass through. Number one, there needs to be a compelling strategic story behind it. Number two, there needs to be compelling financial story behind it. And then number three, really importantly, is there needs to be a good cultural fit. Um, the Levi's company, Ellis & Co., we've got a very, very strong culture, um, very strong values, how we operate. We're in a very, very principled way. And, um, and so that is an, an, a very important filter for us. So strategically, this makes sense on a lot of fronts. Beyond Yoga is in the fast-growing, very profitable, high-margin uh, athleisure category. Um, it, it is a real brand. Um, it, it was founded 16 years ago. Uh, based on this insight of body positivity and inclusiveness, and the brand really stands for that. Um, amazing product. Um, and, uh, and they have built this brand, I like to say, the old-fashioned way. This company has never lost money. 
every single year with the profits that they earned and the cash that they generated, they just reinvested it back into the business and they grew the business for 16 years and have established, I think, foundationally a very, very strong brand. So uh, a real good starting point strategically. Um, financially, the, the story is very compelling as well. The business is a little bit less than $100 million in sales. It'll be over $100 million uh, for us next fiscal year. Um, but we didn't buy it because it's $100 million. We bought it because we believe it could be a billion dollars in sales and be a real needle mover for us. If you think about it, um, today, the brand only operates in the United States. And because they've been capital constrained, because they did grow the business the old fashioned way, um, it is an e-commerce pure play business with a little bit of um, uh, wholesale distribution no brick and mortar retail stores. And actually, if you look at the categories that they compete in today and compare that against a Lululemon or an Athleta, um, there's lots of white space just still within the women's business. And then of course, there's the men's opportunity as well. And there is the brick and mortar opportunity. And of course, international expansion is a huge opportunity as well. So took a look at what they do so exceptionally well and what our capabilities are as a company. And we just thought that there's lots of opportunity for us to bring capability and capital to be able to blow this business out and really make it something big and meaningful. And then last but not least, there's a great cultural fit here. Um, they are a very values-based brand, um, starting with this whole notion of creating a community around body possibilities positivity and inclusiveness, um, but they're all about operating and doing the right thing as well. And so we're super excited um, about, about the business and about the opportunity. It's a great team. And, um, and I think the combination of our capabilities and the cash that we've got to invest in this business, along with uh, everything that they've done so successfully, uh, I think this has a ton of upside opportunity for us as a company. Yeah, you know, I, I think out of those three, I mean, obviously sound business, and I, I know you you probably put a ton of rigor into this, but one of the ones that you just talked about hit me, which is around culture. Mm -hmm. And having gotten to know you a little bit over the last year through our Zoom calls with Rila, et cetera, um, I know that you're big on that, uh, and culture means a lot to you and your team means a lot to you. Talk to me a little bit about how you connected with your team over the last, cause you weren't in the office, obviously. Um, so, so maybe you could share some of those stories and share with the audience kind of how you maneuvered and connected. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, um, it's been really tough. I'll start with that. Um, I think, and the longer that it has dragged on, the harder it has been. But you know, with the broader team, with with uh, everybody at, at LS and Co, um, you know, I decided very, very early on that I needed to be very visible and very present. And fortunately, you know, we had Microsoft Teams and the capability. Everybody had it on their computer, and we were able to. Um, connect with people. Uh, I do normally, under normal circumstances, I do a monthly town hall, all hands meeting, uh, which 
went back when we were in person, we do it in the headquarters. A couple hundred people would show up. People would also tune in uh, digitally and people around the world would watch it digitally. Um, and, and I did that about once a month or so. And, and we actually call it chips and beer. Cute, right? Um, but we would actually we would actually serve beer. We'd do it late in the afternoon, serve beer and have some chips and stuff. And, you know, I might spend five minutes or 10 minutes up front talking a little about about the business and, and what's happening. But then it's open mic. And, and you know, anybody could ask me anything. Um, and with the pandemic, we ramped that up and I started doing it um, every other week. And, and we would have on some of these calls, we'd have 2,000, 2,200 people dialing and watching it live. And then, you know, another thousand or 2,000 watching it uh, remotely. I really felt it was super important to be visible, be present. You know, I, I, I always try to show up as my authentic, true self. I love the fact that people can ask super hard questions. Mm -hmm. And in fact, on Teams, they have the ability to hide behind anonymous, which uh, led to some snarkiness at some points in time. But um, and, and, you know, I felt it was really important to build trust and to just continue to you know, share with the entire organization where we were in the early days of the pandemic. I mean, think back to March of last year. You'll remember it. I mean, shut all of our doors. We had, I mean, almost all of our doors globally were closed for 10 weeks in our second quarter last year. And our revenues went, dropped 67%. We lost $200 million in one quarter, which for us, just unbelievable. And, um, you know, we thought when we closed our doors here in the U.S., they'd be closed for two weeks. They were closed for about six weeks. Um, there was just, if, if you go back to, to those early days of the pandemic, the amount of uncertainty that we were dealing with. And, and everybody was scared. They were scared about their health and their family's health. Um, they were scared about you know, their job. And, and so I really thought it was super important to be present, visible, and, and as honest as I could be uh, based on the information that I had. Um, we knew in the early days of this that um, we didn't know how bad it was going to be. We didn't know how long it was going to last. For the first time in my 40, 40 years, I ran the business without a forecast. I went to the board. I said, we don't know what this is going to be. We've got three scenarios, high, medium, and low. And here's what the revenues are. And here's what the profit impact could be. And, um, but we, we, you know, we also looked at this as an opportunity to double down on doing right by our folks. And um, we rolled out paid family leave um, just, as the, just as the pandemic was happening, where uh, an employee could get eight weeks time off to take care of a sick, sick or loved one who uh, was dealing with health issues. You know, the timing of that was fortuitous. Um, so it, it, it was really important with my team it was even in, in some ways even harder. In fact, we all got together uh, just yesterday for the first time. I mean, I saw I, I had seen most of my team, most of my direct reports a couple of times over the pandemic. But for the first time, we all got together and we were outside um, and, and it was just great to be back together again. And I think we, we've all kind of missed 
the camaraderie and you know the collaboration and the closeness that you, that you build by by working side by side with folks. So, um, but it was you know certainly a, a very very challenging period of time. But we've come through it stronger. You know, I mean, we we declared we were going to come out of the pandemic a better company and a stronger company than we were when we went into it. And and I can confidently say that we are emerging from the pandemic a better company. Yeah, you know, I think I think a lot of this hit us all very personally. Um, and one of the things that I lessons for me anyway was I didn't know that I could build friendships over, you know, a video. And and I think we because we were all doing it, it wasn't like you were left out because you were not you were remote and everyone else was together. It was almost like this common thing we were all remote we were all in our little box <laughs> on a screen you know there were definitely some positives out of it yeah sure. I, I think you know I mean you and I got to know each other really well because of the pandemic because we were able to zoom with each other you know on a on a monthly kind of basis and we had more closer connections with CEOs during the during the pandemic because we were all flying blind and everybody was trying to kind of compare with everybody else. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing about vaccinations? What are you doing about masking in your stores? Everybody was dealing with the same set of issues and, and, it, and it did create, um, you know, a moment or an opportunity to, to really forge some, some new friendships, I think, through this. So, you know, I, I was reflecting, I was telling this story that when I first started my career, and if I did happen to work from home and I was on a conference call, I used to hide the fact that I had kids and I, I had a emotion. I would, if they came in, I would flick my hand like shush, you know, shush, you know, put it quickly on mute. And now it seems like I'm introducing them to the people on Zoom. I am, you know, on Teams. I am introducing them to my husband. So zooming into everyone's homes has really been fun. So talk to me a little bit about that experience for you. Definitely true. My dog just barked too because he's up here in the study with me right <laughs> now. Um, uh, I would say I became a much more empathetic leader through all of this because I got to see people in their full lives, right? Um, you know, you're zooming into people's living rooms, sometimes into their bedrooms. You're seeing the kids and the dog and the cat. And in the early days of the pandemic, when the kids were doing school remotely, I developed a real sense, and my own daughter was um, Zooming to school remotely too, I, I developed a real sense of the stress and the strain that, that people felt in the pandemic. And, I, and, and it, for me, it increased the burden or the responsibility, I think, as a leader to be super aware and super empathetic of what people were going through during especially the most challenging periods of time during the pandemic and 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 giving people the breaks that they needed to do that so we declared early in the pandemic we declared the last friday of every month a company holiday we declared fridays no meetings so that People, because when you're doing Zoom, you know, everybody's going back to back to back to back on Zoom or Microsoft Teams meetings. They have no time to do their own work. They have no time to do their own thing. 
And so we gave, uh, we declared these uh, every Friday, no meeting Fridays. We did the last Fridays of the month off, um, really just to out of concern for people's mental health and well-being. Uh, and and I sensed that, you know, in a lot of the calls that I was doing and just kind of feeling what people were dealing with and, and to some extent still are, you know, with with still a lot of the uncertainty and fear around uh, around COVID. Yeah, I, I there is a that word empathy is probably the best word that you used. I mean, you just felt like you started to feel that some of the tension that was going on in these people's lives. Um, I'm going to switch switch it up a little bit here and talk because I know this is a passion of yours as well, since I know a little bit about you, which is uh, retaining talent and upskilling talent. And we talk a lot about data literacy and how technology is creeping into everything that we do. And that's a big culture shift for a lot of firms. And, and so talk to me about your you have a really cool story here around what you did internally around upskilling. Yeah. So, um, well, we have declared strategically uh, that we are going to digitally transform LS and Co. as part of our uh, part of our next ten year plan. And we've been investing uh, pretty aggressively in um, machine learning, data science, uh, and building up our digital capabilities and uh, uh, we're a lot of our capex is going into this. It's basically going into digitizing the company and building brick and mortar stores. And we're building those brick and mortar stores to be real, true, omni-channel capable. Um, but but in the in the area of data science and just overall data literacy, um, one of the cool things that we're doing is we launched a, a AI boot camp, so machine learning boot camp. Uh, so. And, and, and the backstory on this really is quite simple. We, when we launched into this, I hired a head of a strategy and data analytics and AI, um, Dr. Katya Walsh, and she reports to me and she's, she's an expert and she's brilliant at this, at data science. And to build up our AI capability and we went out and hired a bunch of data scientists. Well, there aren't many in apparel because nobody else is doing this at this point. <laughs> And so, you know, we were hiring data scientists from tech and, and other industries and apparel and retail is different. And, and in a conversation with Katya, I was like, we should identify people internally who we think have the skill sets to do this, because then you could blend people who have experience in apparel and in retail at Levi's, get them trained to be data scientists, and we could match them with true data scientists who have been doing it for a career, and that could be a very, very powerful um, combination. So we, she went out and developed this program with an outside supplier. It is an eight-week-long boot camp where the candidates go through. It is a full-time, full-on, kind of 24-7 job because we're doing it with global cohorts. Um, and after eight weeks, they know how to write algorithms and they are bona fide data scientists. Now, not quite at the same level as a four-year degree from UC Berkeley, but, but they've got the basic skill sets to perform a, a data science role inside our company. 
And so we launched this uh, about nine months ago, our first cohort. And in the first cohort, uh, we were going to do 30 people. We had 360 people internally apply for this. And it was a real rigorous process um, where Kati and a couple of other folks vetted each individual. Um, and we were looking for you know, their passion around quantitative skills, but also perseverance, because we knew this course was going to be tough. So would they be able to get through it? Would they, would they get through the tough grind that was ahead of them? Um, and, and just overall, we wanted a good mix of diverse candidates from lots of different functions. 43 people went through it. All 43 graduated. Um, 10 immediately went into a data science role. The other 33, though, go back to their day jobs, if you will, with this new skill set and an expectation that they're gonna be able to apply it. And that's awesome because now they're accessing data and able to do this on their own. The other critical piece of it is they're part of the culture change and helping me change the culture to embrace data and data science. So it was so successful, um, we decided to do another cohort, which just started about a week ago, uh, a little bit more than a week ago. Again, we had over 300 people apply. Many people rolled over from the first term if they didn't get accepted the first time. This time we're putting 60 people through. So in one year, we will have trained over 100 people uh, as bona fide data scientists. We're gonna continue to invest in building up our data science capability. And, and some of these folks are gonna go into um, data science roles. So, uh, and, and the rest will be change agents for digitizing this company. So super excited about it. And, and I actually sat through uh, the, at, at the graduation ceremony, if you will, um, a bunch of them presented the work that they did. They all had individual projects to go do. And I was just blown away by um, how they were able to, take, able to take their own understanding of the company, identify a particular opportunity where they could really leverage data science and come up with a solution. It was just, it was inspiring. Chip, uh, yeah. I, um, you, know, you mentioned culture a couple of times, right? Uh, and Jill, I like when you said about the empathy, that's another important word. And they, they kind of fit together. But Chip, didn't you say uh, once, I think you told me that uh, culture eats strategy for lunch. <laughs> so, I so think I, that's my quote though, Arthur, but I have said that before. But, yeah. So how does that work? How, how do you, like, you, you have an acquisition, you, you said the integration of the culture was fine. Here you're transforming in, internally by keeping people, retaining them, training them. So what role does, uh, how does the culture evolve? Yeah, well, the culture does need to evolve. I mean, we're not perfect, to be clear. And um, uh, we have a tendency sometimes to take on more work than we should. We're not great at prioritizing. So there are some cultural aspects where we need to get better, just to be clear. But, um, but we do have a very strong culture. Um, our values are very, very strong. There's a lot of positives to our culture. But culture does eat strategy. And because culture, at the end of the day, drives execution, too. And, and execution is really the only thing that a consumer ever sees, is what we execute stores and our customers stores whatever and so how we work together um, and, and it, you know really is all about the culture of the company as we go through this digital transformation though as you can imagine there's resistance in some pockets it's a massive change to take on and anytime you're trying to 
drive change, meaningful change, there's going to be resistance. And so part of what the AI bootcamp is all about is just building a flywheel effect of, of positivity around the impact that data science and, and digitization can have in our business overall. You, you know, it's, first of all, there's a war on talent. Sure. I, I mean, there, there is so many open roles right now that I see in the industry. A lot of people didn't come back. They, a lot, there's a lot of burnout. People decided I'm going to make a career shift. I mean, you see it, I'm sure. Absolutely. And, and yet you're doing something here that is you're investing in your people. And they're going to have loyalty back to you and to what you've done. And, and I also think you're removing fear. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I didn't grow up like you. I didn't grow up with the type of data output that exists today. Um, I didn't grow up with social media. Yeah. Um, and yet. And, and so there's there's this in, almost inherent like, oh, my gosh, am I not relevant? Am I am I missing something? And so. At Accenture, we had to go through TQ training, which is technical quotient. So every leader had to go through it. And you're doing kind of similar things with your team, yeah. which I think is fantastic. Yeah, um, we're, we're trying to develop digital training for everybody so that people aren't as afraid of it. Um, but if you think about it, the apparel industry in so many ways operates today the way that it did 50 years ago. I mean... There's the whole market week concept where we bring in suitcases full of sales samples, right? And yet we probably all designed a car on an iPad and ordered a car on an iPad. You know, we, we can do things on an iPad today that we weren't able to do. And, and yet we're still making sales samples for, for market week. And we should be selling off of, we should be selling off of iPad. Everything should be digitized at this point, and it'll take time out. It'll cut costs. It'll uh, shorten time to market for everybody, and it'll be a win-win-win for for everyone. So there's lots of opportunity here. You know, I think um, we're all talking about ESG, um, and what you're just describing affects the E for sure, because we're going to be eliminating waste. We're going to be operating so much smarter. It's also the S with your people and the culture. Um, and, you know, we can get into G. And I know you're doing a lot of things around G, too. But I think the, the point here is this is the future, um, being a responsible business and a responsible company, Chip. And I just look up to you and what you're doing, which is fantastic. Yeah, it is. So um, I have one kind of fun question for you. Um, so what, what, if you look back at the last 18 months, what was your indulgent pleasure? Well, um, I will say, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm lucky because uh, just from a family standpoint, it's being able to have breakfast and dinner with my family every single day. I mean, not traveling, uh, being home, that in itself was very, very indulgent. And um you know, I've really come to appreciate that dinner time. We've got a we've got a almost 13 year old daughter who's in seventh grade now, and you know, it was really really tough on her the pandemic, especially in the early days. She's a swimmer. All the pools closed. She couldn't swim. She 
couldn't go to school. She wasn't around her friends. And she was at that age where she's trying to pull away from her parents and develop, you know, her sense of identity and her independence and her friends are everything to her. And, you know, we're in lockdown. And, uh, and so being able to be here for her and you know, be with family kind of in that little cocoon for a period of time was probably my other big indulgent um, thing. It was a blessing, actually, that, to be able to experience that. I, I think, you know, and Jill and I, we spoke about this before, about the, you know, the, it was so, the pandemic was, it was so challenging. So many people lost their lives. It was difficult. But for many, it was transformative. Their relationships, their, especially their family relationships, evolved to like a higher level. So it's refreshing to hear, uh, to hear it come from the C-suite, you know, of, of a big company that uh, on a personal level. Uh, you've been, you know, transformed. Love it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chip. Thank you so much. Um, amazing conversation. That's yeah, awesome. Jill, we're, we're going to have you back on uh, for uh, additional episodes. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. We're going to uh, have more episodes uh, as part of the uh, the series, which is a responsible reset series with Accenture. So thank you all. Ready, reset, grow. Accenture helps retailers around the globe embrace change to seize the future. Learn about the five imperatives of retail's responsible reset and how leading retailers are partnering with Accenture at Accenture.com forward slash retail. <laughs>